You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 256 of Podcateers. This week, Gavin and I give our thoughts on Disney's new Flex Annual Pass. We talk about what we'd like to see when bringing back the Disneyland Forever Nighttime Spectacular. We continue our talks about Fantasyland as we bring you some of the history of one of the most popular attractions in that area, Peter Pan's Flight. We'd love to hear your thoughts on anything that we talk about in this episode, especially the new Flex Pass. So we'd love it if you joined the conversation over on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. You can also leave a comment on the blog post for this episode at podcateers.com slash 256. I want to send a thank you out to our friends Ron and Mel from the DDN group on Facebook. That stands for Die Hard Disney Nuts for having me on their last live cast. I'll leave a link to the group in the blog post for this episode in the event that you are not a member and would like to join the group. Uh, If you like the podcast and you'd like to help us continue to produce these episodes, we have a simple way for you to do that. The next time that you need to buy something on Amazon, start your purchase by going to podcateers.com slash Amazon. On that page, you'll find a large Amazon button that will take you to Amazon's homepage using our special referral link. And anything that you buy will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. If you're already doing this before each purchase, we'd like to take this opportunity to thank you. If you want a better way to support the podcast, which may even score you some cool swag, it's by becoming part of the FGP squad, or as we call them, our podcast fairy godparents, because it's largely their support via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible. A huge thank you goes out to everyone on the FGP squad for their continued support. And if you would like a little bit more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad, you can head to podcateers.com FGP. All right, so it's time to sprinkle some pixie dust on this episode so it can take flight. This is episode 256 of Podcateers. Step into the magic. What is that from? Nailed it, right? I don't know. What is from that from? From every single Disney thing ever. Hmm. That one in particular is from Disneyland Forever, which apparently oh. is coming back for a very limited time this year. That's a fireworks show, right? Yes. Really? When's that coming back? Sometime in the summer, I believe. What? They're going to like pause, get your ears on celebration for that? Apparently, it's coming back in June, and I don't know how far past the rumor stage it is, Mm -hmm. but honestly, I would like to see it back, even if it was for a month or two, just kind of for the initial summer months. Quite frankly, because Disneyland Forever is one of my favorite nighttime spectaculars in the park. Mm Mm-hmm. It is one of my favorite fireworks shows. The projection mapping, I feel, was the first time that they really stepped it up and they just took full advantage of that technology. And so now, you know, it's commonplace to see it as part of Mm -hmm. all of the other spectaculars. We're seeing that with Mickey's Mixed Magic and we've seen that with, um, you know, the Pixar Fest stuff that they did. But... 
I, I kind of feel like it's the show that started it all for projection mapping. Is that even that's really not? But is that the one that they came out with for the fiftieth? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. I I know. Sixtieth. Oh, sixtieth. Yes. Oh, I. Yeah. Okay, I did see that one. So that was the one yeah. where they had all the projections down Main Street, and they had like the inflatable coral come up and stuff like that. Yeah, right? like the buildings okay. dancing and all okay. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I liked that one okay. I liked the one that was basically like a tour of Disneyland that, that I think they did for the 50th, where it was like they had highlights from Pirates and... Yeah, that's a really great one too. The audio from that one is spectacular. Yeah, and Star Tours and all that. Like I Yeah. Yes, I like that one <laughs> a lot. Dead men tell yes. no tales. <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh, it's yeah. so good. I, that one was cool. But wait. Okay, wait. okay. I'll give you that. I, I thought, though, that we understood that they were kind of going away from fireworks with the opening of Galaxy's Edge because they don't want to have to close Galaxy's Edge for a fireworks show, and I feel like they would have to, right? Uh, unless they figured out a way around it, hmm. or we might be seeing the emergence of Disneyland Forever with new laser technology Ooh, in the sky. I do like lasers. With full drone technology. That would be awesome. I mean, the drone technology isn't something that we haven't seen before, right? I mean, here in Anaheim, not yet. But at Walt Disney World, mm. they had the Starbright Holidays show just a few years ago. And they had just 300 drones just take to the air and put on this amazing show. I mean, if they brought Disneyland Forever back at that capacity, I'd be all for it. Mm-hmm. Simulating fireworks mm. version cool. 2.0. So what do you think? They would lift up like a screen that they could project on? Is that what you're thinking? No. Here's the cool thing about those drones. Uh, the way that Intel designed them is mm -hmm. they all coordinate and they move into specific locations and they flash certain colored lights to make designs in the sky. Hmm. So theoretically, depending on how many you have in the sky at any given time, you could simulate like fireworks bursting and you could simulate faces and other shapes, which in turn is actually cooler because most people, depending on where you're standing, might not see the projections down Main Street on right. the castle or on the Matterhorn. So allowing the ability to see these designs from farther away, I mean, that's a pretty magical experience. <laughs> That's true. That could be cool. And if you happen to be seeing them from the Hojo, you just want to <laughs> go into the park because then you want to hear it with the music, right? Yep. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've i seen the fireworks from outside the park a couple times recently. Uh, once from a Target parking lot and then once from <laughs> somewhere else. And uh, it made me want to go back and watch Mickey's Mixed Magic, which I haven't seen in a couple months now. So, yeah, I got excited. But I did go and see uh, Magic again today. And nice. it was just as awesome as I remembered from two weeks ago. Two things I have still yet to see. Oh, man. I forgot you haven't seen Mix Magic yet either. Uh-huh. Dude. Yeah. Oh, that I hurts. know. Look, 
if if my record needs to remain intact, uh, obviously I'm going to go watch it the final two weekends <laughs> and then frantically try to record it and take pictures of it because that's what I do apparently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got a <laughs> reputation to uphold, so right? stick to it, dude. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, as long as it's around during the summer months, I, I should be able to go. Because it'll be easier to go maybe even on weeknights because the kids are going to be out of school. You know, summer vacation is and can be a wonderful thing at times. Which actually brings up an interesting thing that I read about this weekend. And I'm sure that you've heard about this. Disney's new Flex Pass. Yeah. That's that's a really interesting direction that they're taking with this thing because it's pricing wise, it seems to be going in the opposite direction that they're normally going in. Right. Yeah, it's basically they've added a new tier, it seems like. And I don't feel like I fully grasp the rules of it, but the general understanding I have is that it's it's more or less a super blocked out pass. I think you get kind about of. half the year or something like that. But then you've got these limited numbers of opportunities where you can make pre-reserved dates to go like twice a year or something. So like during a blackout time, right? Yeah, something like that. I mean, really the most blocked out pass is the SoCal Select Pass, which... I think runs around three ninety nine, which is a couple hundred dollars cheaper than this new Disney Flex Pass that's about to roll out. Um, but the SoCal Select, I think, really only gives you access to the parks like sixty days out of the year. Holy cow! Which is kind of ridiculous, actually. This Flex Pass, uh, it's it's my understanding. Uh, first of all, it's supposed to go on sale on May twenty first, which is a couple weeks after this episode launches. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that you can go anytime, most Mondays through Thursdays. And the wow. key there is most, because yeah. uh, what they're trying to do is they're essentially trying to lower the demand during the summer months. So most weekends and high demand days, weekends, obviously, are not going to be available for you. Very similar to many of the lower tiered passes that currently exist. Uh, but... Uh, This one, if you go on what they're calling good-to-go dates, Mm -hmm. then you have nothing to worry about. If you happen to go on one of the days that requires a reservation, you will be able to place a reservation up to 30 days in advance. And each reservation is supposed to be good for up to eight pass holders, which... Uh, I don't know if they all need to have flex pass or if some of them could have, you know, higher tiered passes, but you can make them part of your reservation Mm. because you want to go together. It doesn't include parking, uh, but I think they will offer uh, 10% discount instead of the 15 and 20% that you get with some of the Mm. higher tiered passes. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you set a reservation and you just don't show up, they are going to penalize you. So apparently really? if you make reservations uh, within a 90-day period, you're allotted three, and you just don't show up to the park without properly canceling them, which you can do up to like 11.59 the day before your reservation, mm-hmm. uh, they may block your pass from making reservations for a 30-day period. Oh, uh, okay. So they're going to 
penalize you for not showing up now. <laughs> Interesting. Well, they're penalizing you from like bogging down the system by making reservations that you're not using. You know, it's like people that use up fast passes and don't actually use them. I wish there was a better way to police that as well. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be good because I do feel that there are many times that we've tried to get a fast pass and things just aren't available anymore. Yeah. But yet we go to the fast pass lines and it doesn't look like there's that many people, you know, for it to say that right. You know, it's completely sold out or it's unavailable. So, I get what you're saying. Uh, so yeah, man, this new pass launching very soon. Uh, again, it's really interesting, especially considering that it's on the heels of the ticket increase prices that we saw back in January, which raised ticket prices, you know, about 25%. Right. So this is my thought. I wonder if this is coming out because we've had the new annual pass prices now for, what, three months since they did the increase, something like yeah. that. And I wonder if they haven't sold as many as they projected. So they feel like they've got to come out with a new option to try and capture some of the losses, you know? Oh, interesting. Because that that's the only thing I can think of is why would they need yet another pass? Because it kind of, it kind of sits in between a couple passes and serves two different purposes, but in a way it's, it's not much different. So I, I feel like it's probably that, and I would rather them do that than possibly hiking prices again. Yeah. You know, try and come up with a new product that they can sell more of. Because I think there's a real fear out there that with Galaxy's Edge opening and then Marvel Stark Park following on its heels, <laughs> that there's a potential possibility that they'll do a double price hike in 2019 or 2020. And that has a lot of people scared. So I, I, if they want to come out with 20 different types of passes to make sure that they can have one for everybody, then that's fine with me. I'd rather them do that than yeah. keep jacking up the price. That, that's an interesting thought because uh, I see this from two other avenues. One, the, the first question that I have about this pass is, will you have the ability to get it via monthly payments like the mm. other passes? Because if it doesn't have the ability to, to do it on a payment plan, I wonder how popular it's going to be. Right. The second thing that I, that I thought about when it comes to this pass is I feel like this one in particular is geared towards locals. Because locals oh, yeah. tend to go Monday through Thursday anyway because the park is already less congested. And because locals tend to spend so much money on concessions, on dinner, you know, just restaurant, whatever the case is, and local merchandise, it's a significant price drop mm -hmm. from any other pass for just the inconvenience of making a reservation in advance. Yeah. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And to be penalized to not go during the summer or the last two weeks of December, that's something some of us already face with our current passes. So if you think about it, $5.99 for that price versus if something's going on, let's let's say that 
in July, they're having a celebration for Disneyland's birthday, and you couldn't get a reservation for that day. If you bought a one-day ticket, you're still coming up on top over the $1,400 pass price. Yeah. You know, so I I feel like this is more geared for locals mm-hmm. than anybody else. Sure. I mean, when you think about it, basically every annual pass is geared for locals because not everybody is insane like me and travels from Oklahoma enough <laughs> to justify the AP price like I did. Um So, yeah, I, I probably 95% or more of annual passes are more or less locals or at least California residents, you know, maybe some Nevada residents here and there. Um, Maybe some Arizona, I guess. I mean, yeah, exactly. Maybe some Arizona, maybe even some like Mexico travelers. I don't know. It's because we're not that far from there either, but uh, yeah, it's mostly locals. So that's fair. But I get what you're saying because they're the only ones that are going to have regular capability of attending during the week. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think if we go during the week, it's obviously going to be less congested. If I didn't live so far away, I think it would be easier for me to want to go during the week mm-hmm. because doing simple things like I want to do, like, you know, film Mickey's Mix Magic, for instance, for the YouTube channel would certainly be much easier and less crowded for me to do that. Yep. And um, having this pass, I guess, would just force me to go during those time frames, right? Mm-hmm. Because I know that certain weekends and certain times are going to be blocked out. And if I can't get a reservation, obviously, I'm going to want to go on the days that I'm allowed to go. Yeah. So is that something you think you're considering because of the price point? I wouldn't completely take it off of my radar. Okay. All right. It's it's just we're so spoiled, but it's so hard to take away that freedom of at any moment, yeah. if you're available, you can just go. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And it is a freedom that we would have to give up. Yeah. But, I mean, when you think about it, having that freedom for four passes yeah. becomes a burden after some time. And the more that they keep raising these prices, if they end up doing a second price hike in 2019 uh, or in 2020, which is almost inevitable... I mean, do we go enough to justify that cost now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't been to the park all that much all year. Yeah. And I've been there once or twice. Yeah. And unless I start racking up those visits, you know, is it really worth it? Like, how many times am I really going? That's true. And that was uh, a conversation that I had with, with someone recently where they said, hey, look, I'm considering getting a pass. I want to be able to go whenever I want. And I asked them, how much are you really going to go during the year? Realistically, how often do you see yourself going? And when are you going to go? They said, well, you know, I, I work on this other thing uh, on weekends, so I don't have that many weekends off. And I said, well, right off the bat, you can already shave off the top two because if you can't go on weekends, they're blocked out for all of the other ones. So save yourself some money. Mm-hmm. And now with the introduction of this pass, it's almost – a perfect fit for them, right? right? This is like the Cinderella shoe of passes for that person. <laughs> nice. And so I, I, I don't know. I think when we get to the point of renewal next year, depending on what happens with pricing, it's a pass that I'm willing to consider 
especially when I start looking at how many times I personally went this year. Mm-hmm. You know, because before I felt like if there's something that we need to talk about, if there's something that I need a photograph or or video or something, I, I felt like I, I had to go because I was really the only one with a pass for a really long time. But now all of you have passes. Yeah. You know, so I can get you guys to to report on it even <laughs> if I can't go. So I feel less pressure now nice. than I ever have. And do I want to see the stuff for myself? Of course I do. Yeah. But I feel less pressure to have to talk about it because I know that I'm going to get a point of view from you or from Mel. You know, whatever's happening, you guys pretty much have covered. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, it, it's not a pass I'm going to completely take off my radar. Let me just Got end it. with that. Got it. So. Well, I mean, it, it, what it really sounds like to me is that your kids really need to start pulling their weight and getting some jobs. That's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> I've been telling them that for months now. <laughs> I mean, they can, uh, you know, they can read and write. Uh, they they can work. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, just I'm, I've been having this conversation with them for, for a long time now. As soon as they turn two years old and they could walk. <laughs> now listen here, you little mooches. Yeah, it, it's time, guys. It's time. <laughs> start pushing that lawnmower around. Start making some Saturday money. That's hilarious. Well, uh, speaking of covering things that are happening in the parks, I saw something today that I had no idea had happened, and I don't know how I missed it. Um, We've been talking about Fantasyland this whole month, obviously, and so I went today to do a little homework to be prepared for today um, since we're talking about Peter Pan, and I actually wrote it, which was, uh, I think, my first 2019 uh, Peter Pan experience <gasps> Ooh, actually man. had a decent wait time um, from the moment I stepped in line till the moment I got out of line was 30 minutes. Uh, so, or till not out of line, but till I exited the ride, it was 30 minutes from start to finish. Wait a second. Right. What? Yeah, I couldn't believe it, it. was less than 17 hours. Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> and I don't know why, but it was great. So I enjoyed that. But while I was tooling around Fantasyland, I was also like looking at every nook and cranny so that I could have, you know, I could keep my record intact of winning every Armchair Imagineering episode. Uh, so I'm already prepping for next week. <laughs> and I rounded the corner um, where my one of my favorite restaurants used to be. And that was the Village House restaurant themed on my favorite Disney movie, Pinocchio. And which has been turned into the Red Rose Tavern. Well, mm-hmm. for a long time, the last year or two, it has been like in temporary status. And they had basically a banner draped over the front that said Red Rose. And even the interior decorations were hanging over the top of the paintings on the wall that were Pinocchio themed. Well, I didn't realize that they'd made all of this permanent. So they've got a new like permanent sign out front and a permanent sign above the entrance and then the interior they've done as like it's a brand new restaurant it looks like to me like they have new murals on the walls with uh the characters they have like a cool like antler display for Gaston they've got like shelves with like oh the books fireplace up thing. around it yeah like it looks beautiful in there. I'm still disappointed that there's, you know, less Pinocchio, but 
there should be Beauty and the Beast in the park. I mean, it's it's a standard at this point. Um, and it, it looks great in there. I hadn't been in there in a long time because I was still, you know, a little miffed about, you know, don't take away my Pinocchio. But I went in there this morning and it was it's really cool in there. So if you haven't been in a while, go check it out. Like it, it's awesome. It's a really, I, I think it's a often missed corner of Fantasyland Cause even the facade of that building is just gorgeous. It's one of my favorite spots in that land, but yeah, I had no idea that they had made that like permanent. Yeah. I really like that area. I, I had seen a lot of the stuff hanging before mm-hmm. uh but i had seen the antlers and i just love the portrait and everything that's there i think it's pretty awesome yeah. uh, but i i had no idea that they were making it more permanent yes i thought it was eventually just gonna go away and we were gonna get you know all the pinocchio stuff back nope it's not coming back uh which is fine mm. because um well stay tuned for next episode <laughs> <laughs> more, more teaser that's called a teaser kids <laughs> that's funny uh well if you have any thoughts on this flex pass that we were just talking about moments ago make sure to join the conversation by leaving us a comment over on any of our social networks you can find us on instagram twitter or on facebook we are at podcateers you can also leave us a comment in the blog post for this episode over at podcateers.com slash 256 as a matter of fact there was a comment from a listener in the last episode mm. where we were asking people about what happened when they were trying to get reservations for Galaxy's uh-huh. Edge. And we received a message from listener Heather. Uh, she said, so two of my friends and I were online on Tuesday trying to get those reservations. Two of us logged on around 8.30 and my other friend logged in around 9.15. We all had to wait for probably about an hour. One of my friends said that their other friend logged in at 10 and managed to get a reservation sooner than we did. Huh. Every time my computer at work refreshed itself, I saw it out of the corner of my eye and I jumped a bit. <laughs> uh, but... Needless to say, it looks like she was uh, just waiting and waiting and waiting. She didn't comment whether or not she did get reservations. But it seems that, like like Mel's experience, if even if you logged in after and you just kind of self-refreshed, mm-hmm. it almost seemed like you had a better shot of waiting for the auto-refresh. Yeah, it's weird. I, I don't really know what happened there. But I, I feel like the the... What do they call it? The digital queue was more or less just an effort to stop people from refreshing on their own. So it didn't bog down the system or something. But yeah, yeah, it it seems like every single person had a bit of a different experience. I know when you mentioned that the the idea of trying to force people not to refresh as often so that they wouldn't crash the website – uh, I thought, yeah, I mean, maybe, but I just feel like they have this cool new technology in the background. And, dude, now that I'm hearing more of people's experiences trying to get reservations and people getting them so much later mm-hmm. that weren't waiting, I think you're right, man. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> I think they did a good job of uh, dropping a veil in front of everything. Yeah. So, you know. Like Smoking the Wizard of mirrors. Oz. Don't look behind the curtain. Totally. 
Totally. Well, totally. Heather, I hope you got your reservations. Me too. <laughs> if not, we'll and, see and you in you late didn't. June. Yeah, and if and if you didn't, I hope that friend that did get them after ten invites you as one of their yes, guests. <laughs> indeed. Okay. Um I think we can jump into our, our topic for this episode. What do you think? Cool. Man? Let's do it. Yeah. Dude, there was so much that I wanted to talk about regarding the history of Peter Pan's flight, but kind of like you talked about last week, there's so much that we can talk about that we'd be sitting here for six hours <laughs> just discussing the entire history. So trying to compress that down to a nice little chunk that we can listen to right now uh, was the most difficult part. But before I got into the actual attraction stuff, I did want to talk about uh, a little about what led to mm-hmm. it, obviously. So uh, you ready? Yep. So here we go. <laughs> we are not going to get flagged on YouTube for that because obviously I did not nail it. So that's okay. It's okay. Okay, so if Peter Pan's Flight is your favorite attraction when visiting any of the Disney parks, then you share something in common with Walt Disney because Peter Pan was his favorite. Nice. See, long before Disneyland or even the idea of animation was in a young Walt's head, uh, he was just about 12, maybe 13 years old when a traveling play company passing through Marceline put on a production of Peter Pan. And Walt was instantly enamored by what he saw. So much so that he ended up playing Peter Pan in a school production himself. And there's even some quotes from Roy talking about how he hoisted him up on these ropes and gave the illusion of flying and everything. So even back then, man, Roy and Walt, super tight. (laughs) Just saying. Around 10 years after playing that role, he saw a silent film in 1924 that reinvigorated his love for the franchise because all of the special effects that were used in the film. Now, remember, around that time, the Disney Brothers studio had already built some rapport because of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and the Alice comedies. So, of course, Walt thought, I have to animate Peter Pan because why wouldn't Mm -hmm. he, right? So Peter Pan was originally slated to be the studio's second film after Snow White, but due to issues acquiring licensing rights, it became the studio's 14th animated feature. I didn't realize it was 14th. It seems so much earlier to me, but yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, the crazy thing is it took them about four years to acquire the licensing rights, Mm -hmm. but so many other films came in between it plus it actually was the the studio's 20th film because if you remember from the wet episode they had started to dabble in live action so 14th animated 20th film overall ironically enough peter pan became the studio's second most successful film behind snow white nice i know right so in in that entire time frame Uh, Walt knew that he wanted to do something with the boy who wouldn't grow up. And in 1953, he finally got his film. Now, as you may recall, if you listen to episode 250, this year was also significant because it was also the year that Walt's ideas for Disneyland were already going at full steam after changing the name of WDI to Wet Enterprises. So, of course, he was going to incorporate Peter Pan into the plans of his brand new park. Mm -hmm. 
Peter Pan was not only part of the original drawing that Herb Ryman and Walt made over that quote-unquote lost weekend, which, sidebar, okay, why do we have to glass half empty that that story? I mean, if I had a quote-unquote lost weekend that turned into an empire, um, I'll take two, please. <laughs> so, Gavin, let's go have a lost weekend. <laughs> I didn't, it's funny, I never took that as a glass half empty kind of phrase. It's I, I I take it as more of like uh, they shut themselves in and like sequestered themselves and focused on one thing for an entire weekend. So like not I imagine they didn't even eat like they didn't and, and stop yeah. and like sleep or eat for like two days because they were right. focused on it. And and that's how I've always thought of it too. Mm-hmm. But then for some reason while I was writing this up, I thought. Why was it lost? Like it was that was a found weekend. That was the weekend they found Disneyland. That's right. Right? Yeah. I'm just saying, but I digress. Uh, it was part of Herbie's drawing nonetheless. And the idea of the attraction was very similar to how it stands today. Uh, and it was even in the prospectus for Disneyland when they were trying to get funding. It stated in my worst Walt Disney voice. <clears throat> <laughs> After you have taken in everything in the courtyard, you can walk through the archway and find yourself in another part of Fantasyland. Here, you will be able to experience the adventures of Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, Snow White, and the Seven Dwarves, Pinocchio, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and other Disney stories. Let us explain what we mean by experiencing the adventures of the above-named. It is a known fact that every child who has seen Peter Pan feels that he wants to fly, just as the children did in the picture. Therefore, in the Peter Pan fly-through, we will give the child or adult that experience. At the present time, the idea for the Peter Pan fly-through is to have you walk up a ramp and find yourself on the rooftop of a London home. As you look over the rooftop, you will see, in miniature and forced perspective, the city of London laid out before you. There will be an overhead monorail system that will have a little ship-like car, such as used in the picture. After you have been seated in the car, you will literally fly through London, and as you pass Big Ben, it will chime. Then as you pass Nelson's monument, he will tip his hat. And as you go through the second star to the right, you enter Neverland. As soon as you arrive, the pirate ship will shoot a ping-pong ball at you. Which, by the way, not there, but that pretty would be awesome. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> then you will pass over the Indian encampment, Hangman's Tree, through the jungle, Mermaid Lagoon, under the rainbow, and into Skull Rock, where Captain Hook, behind the stalactite, will stab you as you pass by. Again, if Captain Hook actually stabbed you, very reminiscent of the night in the haunted mansion. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Just saying. <laughs> the alligator will snap at you and Mr. Smee will shoot at you, but Peter Pan will guide you back home and you have experienced the adventure of Peter Pan. I mean, from the very beginning, it really seems that it was kind of nailed down, right? Yeah. It also sounds like it was a 30-minute ride. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, having Captain Hook stab you and having a ping-pong ball shot at That's you. That's a cool idea. Somehow that needs to be incorporated. Yeah, that would be amazing. So cool. It strikes me, I'm going to inject here for a second. It strikes me that the magic of Peter Pan is that, you know, you're on a suspended track, you know, as, as if you're flying through the attraction. And it's been a long, long time since that type of 
technology has been used in the park because anytime we fly now, it's in a simulator fashion. You know, it's like Soren yeah. or Star Tours, things like that. Those are the or like Flight of the pa- Flight of Passage is that the one in Avatar mm-hmm. Land? Uh, they're all simulator based. But I think it would be just as magical today if they created something new where it's just on a suspended track and you were going at a, a you know at a more ingestible pace where you can see beautiful sets like we do in this dark ride i would love them to do something new with that same kind of ride system personally i'm pretty sure that we're going to end up getting something similar to that when they open the marvel area at california adventure really uh because we've seen disney file patents in the last couple of years where they have a suspended track attraction mm. that swings like a pendulum so uh originally the way that it was described for the patent was you were kind of swinging around like tarzan mm-hmm. But really, because of where we are in the Disney slash MCU, it feels like it's more of a Spider-Man attraction than anything else. So I really feel like that technology is going to be coming into DCA at some point. And it isn't going to necessarily be Dark Ride, you know, where we're having this force perspective flying over Neverland. We are going to be suspended, but it's going to be more of a projection mapping Mm -hmm. type situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, nonetheless, you know, you'll be hanging basically, man, that if they did a Spider-Man attraction, oh my God, that would be the most popular attraction in the resort. (laughs) Like, come on. Yeah. (laughs) Stupid. I know. Uh, that sounds amazing. Uh, okay. Back to Neverland. So back to Neverland, back to Neverland. Now, um, so over the years, the attractions uh, have had several revisions in Fantasyland, which you know you talked about uh, with the Snow White in the Snow White episode regarding the main characters not being in the attraction, and we'll touch on that a little later. But overall, the attraction has remained fairly true to the opening day version. It's probably been tweaked the least of all the attractions in Fantasyland. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the designs for Fantasyland uh, were originally developed, the Peter Pan fly-through was staged next to the Alice in Wonderland walkthrough and just across from the pirate ship. The idea for that area was to theme it like a castle courtyard so that everything kind of melded together. But due to budget and time issues, it was scaled back drastically mm-hmm. to something much more bland. Still awesome, but much more bland. Yeah, I agree. It. It was actually quite pretty when you look at the pictures from that era, but as compared to what Tony Baxter and co did in the eighties, it's not even close. Like they brought the level of theming up to probably what Walt had envisioned in the first place. Right. Yeah. Right. The Peter Pan attraction really pushed Imagineers out of the box when thinking about how to create this attraction because Walt wanted it to fly. You know, it was in the prospectus. Like, it had to be done. Unlike other dark rides, which had vehicles on wheels, Imagineers had to figure out exactly how to give you the illusion of flight. And they ended up using a conveyor system similar to those primarily used in factories to move product from one station to another. Mm-hmm. Another thing that made this attraction unique was the idea that you didn't have a bunch of walls and cutouts surrounding you. Since the idea was to show you in flight, forced perspective and tiny models were used to make you look down out of the attraction vehicle versus looking left, right, and up. 
So it was it was a pretty cool concept. So uh, as cool as it was, it seems complex, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe at the time it was much more complex than technology would allow for now. But with such an undertaking, you can imagine that it was one of the first attractions that they started to build over the course of the year while Disneyland was being built, right? Mm-hmm. Nope. They started just a few months before Uh, the opening of Disneyland. That makes me stressed just thinking about it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's kind of like this whole like, well, go change Adventureland right before Galaxy's Edge opens next week. Oh, man. (laughs) That's crazy. You know, it reminds me of uh, in one of those Disney archive like collector tin collections that came out years ago. It was about Disneyland. There, I saw one of them, and they had footage of early Imagineering uh, testing of the Fantasyland ride systems, and they had basically built the like bare track and vehicles like in one of their warehouses, and they were mm-hmm. just testing them. So you you could see like a little bucket seat like traveling on the Peter Pan track, mm-hmm. just like in an open warehouse. And then I saw if there was like a Mr. Toad car or something too. Yeah. Doing that. And I thought that was so neat to see the skeleton of what it would become. Yeah. So uh, Disney artists slash Imagineers, Claude Coates and Ken Anderson mm-hmm. were two of the people that were put in charge of that project uh, because, you know, they were right on the heels of making Peter Pan the film, the animated feature. Yeah. So they kind of knew what it entailed to make this attraction. But you're right. They built all these right systems in the warehouses because the show buildings hadn't even been built yet. <laughs> you know, they had nowhere to put them to test them. Yep. So there are plenty of pictures. Uh, I know that there's a couple that I've seen. I'll put them in the blog post for the episode, podcasters.com slash 256, if you want to go check that out. But yeah, you just see this like pirate ship suspended at one point, and it just it looks super cool. Yeah. Right? It looks super cool. But yeah, man, they were just working frantically day in and day out. There wasn't any time to create these preliminary plans because they were so close to opening that they just went at it. That's where all these tests came from. They just started building and they're like, all right, this is one giant Lego erector set thing and we're just (laughs) going to start. We'll see what comes from it. Uh, And they did. You know, and luckily they finished in time. Mm-hmm. It was available uh, for the opening of Disneyland. And of course, the original intent for the attraction was they wanted guests to fly through as if they were Peter Pan. And that went so well <laughs> that that's exactly how we see the attraction today. <laughs> Uh, actually, it confused a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but needless to say, the the attraction was an instant success. Mm-hmm. You know, overall, uh, regardless of how confusing that part was, just everyone else just loved the attraction. The ride system itself was created by the Cleveland Tram Rail Company. And they were the ones that created the actual drive and track mechanisms that pulled the the flying ships, or as they like to call them, the miniature galleons <laughs> going towards Neverland. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call them that from now on, just miniature galleons. Yeah. Mm, quite. Just seems so much more regal. Uh, yeah, like Captain Hook. Uh, He's fancy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, there, there was uh, actually a lot of problems with the original track system. 
there's a, a quote from Bob Gurr out there, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact same quote, but he basically said, it's loud. Mm-hmm. It was loud. Yeah. And it was full of problems. <laughs> so the track was constantly being redesigned. It was always down for maintenance. And it was loud, <laughs> in case you didn't hear me the first two times. <laughs> Uh, so uh, even with all the problems, again, the attraction just remained one of the most popular attractions in all of Fantasyland. And the reason was because upon entering the ride, you saw your flying ship or, again, miniature galleon <laughs> coming towards you. And once you boarded your miniature galleon, <laughs> I'm just going to call it a ship. I'm, I'm, I'm reverting. Uh, just began to soar uh, into an instantly dark and very empty nursery, veering left into a beautiful London scene. And you can even see a tiny Tinkerbell showing your way to Neverland. As you circled around London, going past Big Ben, you passed the second star to the right, and you found yourself in Neverland. And it was a sight to behold, Gavin. <laughs> it was gorgeous with all this blacklight technology. Using the same techniques as the London scene that you flew over. They had these tiny models of this giant Neverland island. And you pass by the Indian village and Captain Hook's ship. And uh, it was one of the coolest features of, of the original ride. But you flew through Skull Rock at one point. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't do that anymore. <laughs> and I, I, I just kind of wish that they still had yeah. that. But as part of that original ride, you did fly through one of the eyeballs of Skull Rock. Uh, and then uh, you, you find yourself face-to-face with Captain Hook before being shot at by Smee and narrowly escaping the clutches of TikTok. And believe it or not, this was probably the best attraction in all of Fantasyland, and yet it still didn't meet Walt's standards because, I mean, that's just Walt, Mm -hmm. right? Because due to all those budget restraints and really the time restraints also that they had, they couldn't really do what they wanted to do with it. So, of course, in true Walt fashion in 1959, the decision was made to bring more attractions in and give a little facelift to some existing ones. This expansion was what finally brought us the Alice in Wonderland attraction that was originally put on hold, which was a walkthrough, now an actual dark ride. Mm -hmm. And this update allowed Imagineers to also address one of the biggest complaints that the guests had about the attractions in Fantasyland, which was the missing characters. You don't have a Peter Pan. You don't have a Snow White. You don't have any of these featured characters. But they fixed it with Peter Pan. It became the first attraction to actually add their main character as part of the attraction. So ironically, Peter Pan was actually part of the original concept art. Shortly after flying by Smee, there was supposed to be a fight scene between Peter Pan and Captain Hook. But with all the confusion about who you were supposed to be and whose point of view it was, that's what prompted them to add Peter Pan to the attraction. And I'm kind of glad because uh, all that original artwork that Herb Ryman had made back in 1954 was great. You know, and Marvin Davis, I think, also had a bunch of concept art that they never originally added to the attraction, Mm -hmm. uh, which had like Crocodile Creek and Hangman's Tree. And, you know, this update 
began the the restructuring of the attraction to include a lot of that stuff that was missing from the original concept art, which I thought was super cool. Uh, this change also added more elements to the nursery scene. So they added moving vehicles to the London scene. They added Big Ben. Skull Rock was moved. Uh, that I, uh, that that's one of the things that I wish they wouldn't have done. I mm -hmm. think the having you fly through Skull Rock would still be super cool today. But that's when they moved Skull Rock, and now as you flew past it, the Captain Hook animatronic was was upgraded and was holding and Smee. Uh, in his boat was holding Tiger Lily captive mm -hmm. as part of this update. Uh, in a future update, she eventually ends up in the water instead of Smee's boat. Mm -hmm. And overall, that's how the attraction has stood for a really long time. Uh, the opening of the attraction at Walt Disney World had allowed Imagineers to build in more of the original concepts that were never added to the Disneyland version. Now, the attraction called Peter Pan's Flight included elements like the Mermaid Lagoon, the Indian Village, and the fight between Hook and Pan once planned for the Disneyland version. This version, believe it or not, became even more popular than the Disneyland version <laughs> because it had so many more cool elements and also wrapped up the film in such a beautiful way. It's one of the most complete dark rides that exists, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, for sure. In the early 80s, Fantasyland was getting reimagined. And as part of those changes, the show buildings finally saw the treatment uh, once planned for them in the original artwork for Fantasyland over three decades prior, looking more like a castle courtyard. And although most of the attractions like Snow White were completely demolished, Peter Pan's original track remained fairly intact with the exception that the track was actually extended when they demolished the Mad Hatter shop that was right next to it, which allowed them to uh, add a new unloading platform to the attraction. Uh, this version also extended the nursery scene, so you were put into the story a lot sooner than you were in the past, and it finally had a Mermaid Lagoon scene, making this version a lot more similar to the version that was now at Magic Kingdom. On February 2nd, 2015, the attraction closed once again for refurbishment and reopened five months later with new animatronics of Wendy, John, and Michael flying above John's bed in the nursery, previously where they were all just kind of sitting on John's bed and Wendy was sitting in a chair next to them, like telling them a story. Uh, and it had updated effects that were also added to the London scene, the Neverland scenes, and using projections that just plus the attraction in such a magical way that every time I ride just gives me the warm and fuzzies <laughs> because it's gorgeous. I love what they did with it. All the sparkles, all all the, the new projections of Peter flying around mm -hmm. and Tinkerbell and the new uh, second start of the ride as you're entering Neverland. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, they did such a great job plussing it up uh, a few years ago. And that's Peter Pan's flight, man. Nice. That's that's kind of where we are now. I mean, it does put us in a situation where it feels like it's up for reimagining once again. And I guess that's up to us next week. Right. Because we're reimagining <laughs> Fantasyland well, <laughs> as we armchair imagine. Yeah. I mean, that brings up a good question. I, You know, they did do that last plussing in 2015. And, you know, they did a similar thing with Alice. And for my money, I feel like the most recent plussing of Alice wins over Peter Pan. 
because I thought the differences were a little more subtle in Peter Pan. You know, they didn't kind of wow me in the same way. Mm. So, like, if they were going to update anything about that attraction, what would you update? Oh, wow. Um, If we were leaving it the same way without reimagining for next week's episode. Right. Um, I would add a little bit more to the scenes in Neverland. Mm. Not necessarily with projection technology, but I would probably add miniature animatronics so that you saw the action happening in Neverland as you were flying over ah, it. Ah, okay. Yeah, I, it would be cool. You know those shots where they're looking down at Neverland from sitting on the clouds and the yeah. pirate ship fires a cannon up at you? Like, it'd be cool to see something like that happen when you're flying over the island. Or what if you're in the ship portion and then uh, since we're seeing Neverland from the sky, mm-hmm. what if from the sky in the ship we look down and we see Disneyland? Oh, nice. <laughs> that would be cool. That's pretty meta, that dude. That would be meta. <laughs> see, for my money, like, uh, you know, several of the characters in the ride are technically audio animatronics, but there's very, very little movement in the characters. And yeah. not a lot of the Disney or Fantasyland dark rides have, you know, what we would consider full contemporary animatronic characters with lots of movement, at least not at Disneyland. But the difference is like with Snow White and even Toad and definitely Alice, the poses of the characters, even if they're not fully moving, suggest a lot more movement i feel like so many of the characters on the peter pan attraction feel like they're just standing there you know like when hook is fighting pan everybody else is literally just standing still and when uh they're at the helm of the ship after they beat hook and peter pan says pixie dust you know they're all just (laughs) standing there behind the ship wheel you know there's not a lot of dynamic posing to suggest animation and like the only one to me that has a lot of dynamic motion to it is at the end with captain hook you know balancing on the snout of tiktok TikTok, which is a cool cool shot i love that shot it's my favorite shot in the ride but i I feel like there's just not enough like all of all of the magic of it is just that you're flying to me, you know, I, I wish that there was more character movement. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, it would benefit from a little bit more movement, uh, more expression mm-hmm. throughout the attraction, uh, especially uh, in the nursery scene. You know, if you're seeing somebody that's flying for the very first time, I know that they have the projection, you know, as they fly out and everything. But man, if those animatronics were just like, what? Yeah. Like we've seen Abraham Lincoln do, yeah. <laughs> that I, I can I can say that would plus up that attraction a lot. Sure. I honestly I feel like the nursery scene is just as good in the Emporium window on Main Street as it is in the attraction. You know, like it's it's yeah. really good in both, but that to me says a lot. Like you've got a full size attraction. And there's not a whole lot going on besides a projection. Now, that being said, those next two scenes where you fly over London and then fly over Neverland are 
insanely awesome. And it's one of the only examples in Dark Ride, especially, I think the only other one I can think of is Roger Rabbit, where they had to design everything from every perspective because they were going to give the audience the entire perspective circle around and let them look at it from all directions and the only other attraction where they do that is roger rabbit because your car itself is spinning all the other ones they point you where they want you to look and sometimes if you look back behind you you see things you're not supposed to see you know the backsides of things and you know maybe some lights that you're not supposed to see things like that so that's what's cool about those scenes to me is that they're full realized scenes that you fly into and around and through and it's awesome how dare you look back in the direction the vehicle's not pointing you <laughs> well it's every every ride isn't like the doom buggies that literally don't let you look back <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe they should. I know. Be. I agree. And I mean, maybe that's a teaser for what's coming. Maybe. maybe. One of the cool things mm. they did though with the miniature galleons is <laughs> yes, uh, they designed the the sail uh, for that to kind of hide the track mechanism above yes. you, so that that magic isn't lost. You know, and. I actually got on the attraction today to purposefully look at a few things. And one of the things I wanted to look at was the track mechanism. And while I was in the queue, I got to look at it. And I wanted to get on the miniature galleon and see (laughs) what it looks like from that perspective. And the success of the attraction won over that experience or experiment because the second I sat down, all I did was look down. I forgot to look at the track completely because I was engrossed in the attraction. There, There's a reason it's so popular and successful. And, you know, it definitely has a particular kind of magic to it that's different than any other dark ride in the park. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, after being in line for so long, you don't want to miss right. what Imagineering built, right? right. You want to concentrate on what's there versus what's holding you up. Yeah, and I will say that the Disney Play—is it Disney Play? The the parks? Yeah. Okay, the Disney Play app game that you can play in that attraction queue is really good. There's a there's a huge payoff to it if you play it. And it's challenging enough that I've done it before and it's been probably six months or so, but I, it was challenging to do it a second time. Like I still had a, had to work to accomplish the goal. So, uh, if you haven't tried it, try it out. It's fun. Yeah, dude. hundred percent. The last time we went and I played with the kids, we had so much fun just finding all those little icons all around. Uh, Lynette and the kids played the trivia part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I didn't play the trivia part as much, but there's a lot of elements to the game while you're standing in the queue, you know, where you're drawing things and doing all sorts of stuff that really does keep you preoccupied. Yeah. So uh, kudos to the team for that. It was super fun. But yeah, I guess it, th- this episode really wouldn't be complete if we didn't answer the question of why is Peter Pan one of the longest cues? Because apparently it's one of the most popular questions people ask and people have to answer every time. Right. So 
you know, I, I'm going to answer that okay. as best as I can because it'll round out the episode, so to speak. Cool. So, uh, for starters, the ride capacity per hour is much lower than other attractions in the park. That's primarily the reason. Mm-hmm. I know we joke about it, but really it's because it just can't pipe through enough guests as other attractions can. Uh, we've talked about how other Disney attractions can load many guests in that one-hour time frame. This is called Operational Hourly Ride Capacity, or OHRC for short. And when you take an attraction like Pirates of the Caribbean, for example, at its lowest capacity rate, it's estimated that just around 3,100 people can ride per hour. And at its highest, you can probably get around 3,400 guests through the attraction every hour. When in comparison, Peter Pan, at its lowest, gets an average of about 600 riders per hour, and at its highest, gets just about 1,000 per hour. Wow. So that's a pretty significant drop, which is literally why it takes you three times longer to ride Peter Pan's flight over other attractions mm-hmm. in the park. So if you've ever wondered... That's that's the scientific reason behind why Peter Pan's flight has such a long queue time. Uh, and, of course, because it's just a well-built dark ride attraction. Uh, in my opinion, the best one in Fantasyland. And Peter Pan's not even my favorite character, right, okay? Right. But it is definitely the best built, the best themed. Uh, sorry to say, but I think it's even better than Alice overall, even with the 2015 plusing of Alice. Uh, because I know what you were talking about earlier, that you said it was more in your face with Alice when those changes came through. But I think it came to you like that because it it badly needed an update. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have anything that progressively brought you to the point where Peter Pan was getting these updates over time. Mm-hmm. And it was just minor tweaks to get it to kind of where they wanted, you know? Right. That makes sense. So. Anyhow, uh, if you have any thoughts about Peter Pan's flight uh, or anything that we've talked about in this episode, again, remember to join the conversation. You can leave a comment in the blog post for this episode over at podcateers.com slash 256. Or you can follow us on any of our social networks. Just search for podcateers, <laughs> P-O-D-K-E-T-double-E-R-S. I'll be here all week, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Uh, We're on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter. You can also head over to YouTube and search for our YouTube channel. I'm in the process of finally updating all of the episodes that I haven't been able to upload there before. So if YouTube is your thing and that's where you like to listen to episodes, first of all, I'm sorry because you are badly behind. (laughs) But hopefully you've been keeping uh, up with these episodes via any of the other methods that you can get us. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. And we're on Spotify. So if you know anybody that might like our podcast because they just like Disney history and they like banter about the Disney parks, tell them about Podcateers and, you know, subscribe them. Take their phone and just like... Listen to this. You'll like this. And if you like it, I don't know, Mabel will get a buddy for Waddles (laughs) every time that we get another listener. (laughs) That made absolutely no sense. (laughs) 
<laughs> who, who needs to make sense? This, this, this is fine. Okay. Another flight to Neverland takes place. How about that? <laughs> that's, that's more in keeping with our theme, yes. All right. We'll go with that nice. one. We'll go with that one. Wait. Before we finish our episode, I had one thing that I sadly neglected to mention on the last episode. So I wanted to throw it in here. Uh, as we went around the dark rides uh, in a tour of Fantasyland, I talked about the architecture and the style of each of the attractions, except I missed talking about that on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And I wanted to mention a couple cool things. Um, the attraction itself, the facade is Edwardian architecture uh look it up kids interesting stuff uh but the coolest thing about it is that it's actually designed to look exactly like the toad hall from storybook land canal boats which obviously had predated it and been around uh since before they designed it so i think it's really cool that they took that miniature model and just basically blew it up and made that what the actual toad hall in Fantasyland looks like. So when you go on both attractions, there's continuity there. That is cool. Yeah. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they basically took that model and were like, "Okay, this is our starting point. Let's let's work from this." And they made that That's work. That's rad. Isn't that cool? I yeah, love it. After we after we recorded, it was like in the middle of the night. I woke up and I was like, "Dang it! I forgot to mention the Toad Hall in a thing. cold sweat, right?" right? Yeah. Dun dun dun. So I wanted to make sure that I got that in there. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you did, dude. Yeah. I just learned something. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Uh, before we end the episode, I do want to let you guys know, in case you didn't see the announcement on Instagram, that. We now have some of Gavin's prints available in the gear section of podcasters.com. I love it. Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, Thank you for putting the work in to make that happen. Um, It just helps get the word out there that I am an artist trying to make some money. So uh, if you like Disney inspired stuff. Help a dude out. <laughs> Aren't we all? We Gavin? are. Aren't we? we are. We are. <laughs> but uh, I ended up putting a couple of my photo prints up there too, which we ended up using as charity auctions for uh, one of our Team Boat Willie events last year. Uh, but your prints, man, they, they it's fine art, dude. Fine oh, art you. at its finest. I appreciate that. And I I appreciate you, you know, letting us put them up there. You know, all the details are there as far as what sizes they come in and everything. And uh, Gavin will personally ship each one of these items out for you when you purchase Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And they are very fine pieces. I've seen them in person. I've been around it. And they glow with an aura of awesome. (laughs) Because I've seen them. Well, uh, your photograph. I'm glad you put your photograph, some of your photographs up there too, because uh, they're they are stellar as well. The hatbox ghost picture that I have hanging on my wall that you took is unbelievably good. So thanks, I, dude. We've got lots of creative stuff for you people out there. So check out the gear section of our page if you haven't. There's lots of cool stuff. Yeah, and as we prepare to add more stuff, I've been talking to Melissa about uh, some of her stuff going up in the gear section as well. Mm. You know, she, Melissa does a lot of really awesome crafts, but she has a lot of 
unique items. You know, she doesn't have things that are easily replicated. And so we've been talking a lot about having certain items that, you know, she just has available to ship out that we can start putting in the gear section. Because, mm -hmm. dude, Mel is so talented. Yeah. Like, she, like, the models and stuff that she makes are just amazing. Like, there's... I don't know, dude. I've I've known her for several years now, and f like all the stuff she's ever had at Art Walks and that she sells on Etsy is just stellar. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that we showcase all of her stuff as well. And uh, yeah, we're just gonna keep adding stuff. We have hats coming soon. Woo! You know, it's one. It's been one of the things that I've been asked about the most, especially the Team Boat Willie hat. That's gonna be coming soon. Uh, some of you may have seen me post that on Instagram recently. Uh, I'm trying to figure out a couple of things logistically as far as the design is concerned that, you know, we, we didn't necessarily like. And if we're going to put it up on the website, I want to make sure that it doesn't look junky. Right. You know, I want to make sure that what you're getting is something that looks good and is going to stand up the test of time mm -hmm. overall. So, yeah, so that's coming. We're working on that. And more more stuff in the future it's awesome man uh, remember that next month in june 2019 we're going to be celebrating our five-year anniversary and uh many of you may know the story uh if you don't the tldr is that this podcast exists because of the generosity of the fgp squad you know if it wasn't for the fgp squad this podcast would have ceased to exist quite some time ago but it's their donations via patreon monthly that have helped the podcast grow uh help the podcast live and if you would like to become part of the fgp squad you can find more information on how to do that by going to podcasters.com slash fgp uh any donation helps you know from one dollar to five dollars ten dollars heck a $10,000 donation would certainly help out. But it's up to you. In June, we're going to start giving back to the FGP squad. And so every few months, we're going to be giving away something from the gear section to someone on the FGP squad. And we're going to start off with the Fairy Godparent shirt, which is essentially the logo that is on the FGP squad button. And uh, for the first time, we're releasing it on a shirt. And so the FGP squad, uh, anybody that's currently a part of it will be entered into a random drawing. But one of the things that we're most excited about is that we're going to be offering a lot of other swag, like the hats and, I don't know, some coffee mugs with the Team Boat Willie logo and the Podcateers logo. So all that is coming soon. Uh, this is something that we've been working on for quite some time, and we're just really excited to be able to start offering as prizes and will be available for purchase for anybody that's interested in supporting the podcast in that way. So to the entire FGP squad, thank you very much for the support. And again, if you would like to become a part of the FGP squad, you can head over to podcateers.com slash FGP for more information. Um, I think that's it, man. Cool. Got anything else before we wrap up? No, I just can't wait to log into podcasters.com and order that fedora I've always wanted. That fedora? Yeah, man. Why not? <laughs> I think we're still quite away from a fedora. Actually, you know what we should do is podcasters branded. Get matching hats? Dapper Dan style boater hats. <sighs> with, oh, that's like with a blue and black like one time thing just for oh, us. Oh, man. That would be great. But maybe we should start by just getting matching hats. Okay. I'm cool with that. Let's start with yeah. that. 
All right, so that is going to wrap it up for this episode. So until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Made you look. <laughs>